Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. There aren't many times that the church deals honestly with the subjects of suicide and grief, and it's likely because these aren't very popular messages. But the unintended result is that when grief and despair show up, when the unexpected and tragedy occur, we are then left without a model to follow. I want to thank you for joining us today as we look at the biblical model for processing grief and learning how to lament as we seek to navigate the soul. lovely. Uh, this as a metaphor for those things in our life that we treasure. Uh, those might be relationships or opportunities, um, our, our own health that we value. And sometimes uh, don't pay often enough attention to thank God for the very fact that we are all able to gather here today. Uh, the loved ones who we know, family members, uh, moments in our life that are so easily taken for granted. The reason why I wanted to use this as an illustration is because we're going to look at a subject this morning that's, that's quite difficult. Uh, there has been a curse upon this world by which those things that we love, those things that we treasure, um, under the curse of sin, without warning, without anticipation, and sometimes in our lives, completely shatter and be destroyed. We're not ready for it. We're not prepared for it. And what we're left with is shards of pain and difficulty. Thinking that what we would really desire would be to put things back together the way they once were. But understanding that every time that we would go forth to try to reach that with which we once loved and valued, we find ourselves bleeding. We find ourselves cut. And if you move too quickly to try to repair the mess that has been created by the sinful brokenness of this world, you will find further harm comes if you don't move slowly and deliberately. And in fact, if you don't work to holistically take care of that which has been shattered, you might also find yourself causing harm to others who come near you. Because the tragedies in our life, they cut us and they can cut others. And if we haven't com completely handled this in the right way, we'll find that they go left with shards that stick into our lives. And so how do we handle the tragedies of life? How do you and I, as those who are just frail, finite servants of God, children of God, how do we best handle these unforeseen and unplanned for experiences in our life? That's the subject that I'd like to have us draw our attention to this morning. Uh, the subject of grief is one that I think in my entirety of uh, discipleship, I've never heard a sermon on. What is grief? How does grieving factor into the life of a, of a broken human 
who's made in the image of God, and then even more specifically, how ought grieving be demonstrated in the life of a Christian? There is more than a pandemic in our world. There is an epidemic of mental health uh, illnesses that are rampant in our world, especially uh, in our schools. Uh, recently, I was talking with a friend uh, who works in the nursing office of one of the local schools. I won't name which one it is. Uh, and she was dealing with cases of COVID. She said that there are a startling number of mental health issues that are plaguing our youth far, far worse than COVID. That, that, that is the majority of the cases that she sees in her office. They don't need a thermometer. Uh, they, they don't need aspirin. They need love. They need a hug. They need what we need. They need the biblically defined mechanism for how to deal with the tragedies of this life. Have you had tragedy in your life? Have you had moments where that which you treasured was shattered? Our hope today is that we would focus in on the right way to go about pursuing this process of grief that God would dictate for us to understand the way in which we are designed to grow from it, to find that on the other side, when acceptance can be found, what what really is there is an optimism through the lens of the God who will make all things that are broken new again. Amen? Amen? We can't address this issue without also addressing the subject of suicide. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among youth today. I've dealt with suicide in my own family, with threats of suicide, attempts at suicide, and success in committing suicide. I've counseled people who were in the middle of committing suicide. What we will find out today is that as we approach this brokenness in our own world, that plagues our lives under the subject of grieving, there are only two paths. There's a path that does lead to a hopelessness. It's the most awful, the most disturbing and dreaded conclusions from our inability to correctly process our grief. But there's another path. There's a path that God has laid out for us that I think many of us are un. Uh, trained. We, we have not been equipped to know how to go through the right steps within grief. Not the five steps we're so commonly aware of, but biblical steps that we can frame ourselves in a pattern of not leading to hopelessness, but that we can frame our response onto growth, godliness, and hope. We're going to find for our study this morning... Um, A particular psalm, Psalm 31, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, even though it's going to be a a little while before we deal specifically with the text. Um, We're we're going to see that there's a pattern within the scriptures that lay out the answer. And in order for us to begin on that, I need to once more in this series uh, lay down some foundations that we can build upon. So we're going to spend the first part of our study uh, this morning just laying down some of those foundations. And then after that, we're going to read through the text and find a few observations. One, one primary conclusion that has quite a few applications. The first definition I want to give you is a definition for grieving, uh, grief. Uh, it's less 
of an emotion as so much as it is the process of accepting, acceptance. Grief is the process of accepting the unforeseen, the unwanted, and the unexpected changes, changes to the things that we love. That's the definition of grief. As an illustration, I think of it like a, a record player. Anybody here old enough to remember records? Um, my generation came right on the, hill, the heels of that uh, LP craze. Uh, but yeah, I remember uh, my, my mom putting a, a record on from time to time. I remember the sound of the needle scratching over the grooves within the record. Um, every now and then you'd find one, though, that had a particular scratch on it. And you know what record players do? They, they skip and, uh, and then they just repeat. And I want to submit to you, I think grief is a little bit like that. Uh, that you were in the middle of a song. I mean, you, whatever genre you like, you, you were in the middle of enjoying life. And then something happened, uh, um, a scratch and something unexpected that caused you to get stuck. And I'm now stuck in this loop. And that is what grief is like. Grief is like a, a repetition of dealing with that which I loved. And I don't know how to let go. I don't know how to get off of this track. So that I can move forward because the process of grief is one for the Christian where we must recognize it's a turning to the power of God to help lift the needle that we would come to accept. You know what? There's more. There's more left to this song. It doesn't end here. This is not the end. There's still more to be listened to and enjoyed. And it's that process that we're going to look to this morning. So this being the first definition. Our second is a definition for suicide. Suicide is the most dreadful conclusion from incorrectly processing grief. And we're going to look at how the scripture speaks of this as well as some examples. Our last definition is the answer. I want to submit to you all this morning that God has given us the correct way of processing grief through the practice of lament. That may not be a word that you're familiar with. Uh, lament may sound like an archaic word, an ancient word. But within the songbook of your scriptures, in the very middle, the book of Psalms, nearly half of all of the songs are called Psalms of Lament. And these psalms, if we look at the structure of them, they will produce for us stages and steps by which you and I, by God's wisdom, can process through the difficulty of the shattering of the things that we love. Lament is the God-sheltered space that allows you to correctly process the grief so that you can grow. You can move on and you can remember there's more to this song in my life. So with that... Um, I, would, I would like to give you some foundational understandings when it comes to grief in our world. The first is this. God allows grief to shock us from this world. It's not the devil. Make sure that we're clear on this. The, the, the devil is on God's leash. He cannot go further, even though he would wish to seek, kill, and destroy, which the scriptures teach us from our reading this morning, he can only go so far as to be allowed for God's great purposes of redemption in our lives. And so it's not the devil's fault. It's God who has allowed grief. And the primary reason is so that it will wake us up. You've got to be very careful that you don't fall in love with this side of eternity. Amen. 
You've got to be very careful that you and I are not duped into thinking heaven is now because it is not. And so God, in his permission, allows these moments of uh, earthquake, of fracture, these unexpected moments that cause us to recognize there's actually something beyond this life that I'm designed for. The Bible tells us that God has set eternity in the hearts of mankind. And this is your problem. Do you understand? This is your problem. The things that you love, you are designed to love for eternity. But you don't get to on this side. Because this is not heaven. And so God wants you to learn to look with your eyes at the gaze of another horizon. That place by which Jesus rules and lives. And so is God who allows grief in our world and in our life. I want to show you some examples from scripture where this type of grief shows up and in a way that's very destructive because I want you to understand handling it has not always gone well in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. So a few examples. First is Moses. This comes from Numbers chapter 11. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry. Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you? That you put the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them? Will you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised an oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for these people? They keep wailing to me, give me meat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, then please go ahead and kill me. If I have not found favor in your eyes, do not let my face, don't let me face my own ruin. Moses, anyone ever feel like that? Oh, yeah. Uh, Elijah, here a second example in 1 Kings. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. This from Jonah chapter 1. He says to the sailors, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And it will become calm. I know it's my fault the great storm has come on you. Job's wife, this one's a humdinger. Job chapter 2. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of pottery and scraped himself as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintain, maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. In the New Testament, the Philippian jailer, as um, the, the, the bars fall, uh, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaking. Shaken at once more, the prison doors flew open. Everyone's chains became loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. 
because he saw all the prisoners had escaped. Here's one you might know. Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, Lord, strengthen me once more. Let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one, his left on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. Down came the temple on its rulers and all its people. And thus he killed many more when he died. And when he lived, Abimelech, in the book of Judges, he hurried to call his armor bearer. This is kind of a terrible story. You could read it in chapter 9. Draw your sword and kill me so they can't say a woman killed him. I kind of like that one. (laughs) So his servant ran him through and he died. Saul, in the book of 1 Samuel, the fighting grew fierce around Saul. When the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. So Saul says to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. Zimri in 1 Kings, when Zimri saw the city was taken, he went to the citadel of the royal palace. He set the palace on fire all around him. And so he died. Because of the sins he had committed, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord and following the ways of Jeroboam, committing the same sin Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit. Ahithophel, Second Samuel, when Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey. He set out for his house in his hometown. He put his house in order and then hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. And then who, if you're following the pattern here, who is the most famous person to commit suicide in the Bible? That's right. One last one, Judas Iscariot, Matthew chapter 27. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I've sinned, he said, for I've betrayed innocent blood. What is this to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas withdrew threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away, hanged himself. What do all of these moments that we read about have in common? I would submit to you that apart from Samson, all of these men were were relying on their own strength. There is a fallacy within counseling today that says you have it within you. You just need to try harder or buck up. Or some form of inward introspection when all along, every single glance towards your ability will lead you, hear me loud and clear, only eventually towards despair. And yet it is God who has allowed grief to be part of our lives. I'd like to give you a New Testament passage for us to think upon this. This from the book of 2 Corinthians. As Paul begins his letter to the church, he says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, that we despised of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Watch this, though. Paul says, but this happened... That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I submit to you this morning, the reason why grief is in our world is because God uses it to get our attention. To not think it's about us, but to say, I need the God who has the power to raise the dead. This quote from C.S. Lewis, he says in the book Problem of Pain, we can ignore even pleasures, but pain 
insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience. But he shouts in our pains. It is, it is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world, a deaf world. So number one, God allows grief to shock us from this world. Number two, God understands grief. By the way, these are foundational. We, we have to lock these truths in if we're going to move forward, knowing how to move forward in the process of lament. Uh, this from Isaiah 53, speaking of Jesus, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. God the Father, in this to the, um, uh, through the prophet Isaiah chapter 11, speaking of God the Father, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incest to images. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel, my heart? Churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. And maybe this passage better than any other in the New Testament. From noon until three, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, meaning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Church, I want to, I want to make sure that you lock this in. God knows what it feels like to face grief. He is not removed from your experiences. He chose to place himself in the middle of those moments of turmoil, those moments of shock in our lives. God understands. Third, this is critical. Suicide is not the unforgivable sin. Regardless of what other parallel church tradition may say currently or has said for years, hear me loud and clear Suicide is not the unforgivable sin. Uh, I'm bringing a lot of the the details from uh, this message from uh, this book called Grace for the Afflicted by Matthew Stanford. He begins his chapter on suicide with this quote from Peter Kramer, a medical doctor, saying, Suicide is what the death certificate says when one dies from depression. There's many, many reasons why people commit suicide. But it is not the manner by which you enter the afterlife that tells you where you go. It's how you chose to live and place Jesus as your Lord. It has, has nothing to do with the manner of your death. It has everything to do with the posture of your heart. Um, I'd love, if you're more curious on this, ask me on a Wednesday for my Bible study morning. Come and let's talk more about what the unforgivable sin is. But for today, please just lock this in. If you wanted a little bit of proof for this, you'll know we already covered Samson was one who did commit suicide. And in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the long list of all those who are calling out to the church, continue to live by faith. Do you know whose name is in that list? Calling out to us to live by faith? None other than Samson. Writer of Hebrews says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David and Samuel and the prophets. So, Scripture itself seems to indicate that suicide is not the unforgivable sin. Fourth and finally, most importantly, Jesus offers forgiveness, redemption, and hope. Remember, things will break in this world. Things will break unexpectedly in this world. The things you love, you will lose. But Jesus has promised to make all things 
new. So he offers you not only future, he offers you forgiveness now. He offers us redemption now. And he promises us hope for the future. I want to give you one conclusion for us to build these from these foundations. And then we're going to look at Psalm 31. I want to thank you as well for your good attention because the service is going a little long this morning. Um, I want to submit to you three things are required for us. Number one, in order for us to correctly and biblically process grief, we need to make time. So many people fail at this beginning part. They just don't make time to recognize grief. Secondly, you need to gather it together. Much like these shards are varied in in, um, uh, different places, uh, the the grief of your life will be like that that is scattered all over the place. It'll It'll be different for every person for grief. You'll find that there are moments where I didn't even know that this was something that I was hurting for. But you need to take time and then you need to gather it all together. And then lastly, you need to offer it to God through the process of lament. Lament is the solution that God has given us to correctly handle and process grief so that we can grow. And that's what I want us to look at very quickly, as fast as we can. Uh, In Psalm 31, I'm going to read through the passage and then offer five applications and a a handful more. Psalm 31, please follow along with me. It says to the director of music, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead, guide me. Free me from the trap that has been set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love for you saw my affliction and you knew the anguish of my soul. You've not handed me over to the enemy, but you have set my feet in spacious place. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. My soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors. I'm a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear the slander of many, and there is terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let your face shine upon your servants. Save me by your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and lie silent in the grave. Let let their lying lips be silenced with pride and contempt. They speak arrogantly against the righteous. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men, on those who take refuge in you. 
In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from the intrigues of men. In your dwelling, you keep them safe from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he has showed his wonderful love to me when I was in a besieged city. In my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. But you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Uh, A few applications for how do we learn to lament. Okay. Everybody take a breath real quick. You guys with me still? That did not sound very convincing. If you're with me. This, this, this next slide, this is what we need to learn to do. Uh, I hope if you have sermon notes, uh, please hold on to these because if you haven't had a need to process a lament right now in your life, I, I promise you, you will in the future. And so these are principles you're going to need to turn to eventually. First is this, you and I need to center ourselves upon God as God. If you look with me back into the text, you will see very clearly in verses 2 and 3, he starts out by recognizing God as his refuge, as his rescue, as his fortress, as his rock. You will see if you look to verse 14 in the text, that he says, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Uh, the, the reason why I have phrased it this way, the idea of a, of a center, is because I believe the world around us, when tragedy unfolds, is much like a merry-go-round. Do you guys remember the merry-go-rounds on the playgrounds? Um, that would be a puke machine for me today if I were to get on a merry-go-round. Uh, you might remember one characteristic of a merry-go-round is that the further you get to the edge, the, the worse the G-forces feel. I think that's what life is like. And I think that God is at the center. And if on a merry-go-round you go to the very center, it's almost like you can find stability there. Even though tragedy may still be around you, there is stability when you center your life on God. Not as being, oh, you know, that church has God and my Bible has God. No, he rules right now. He reigns right now. He is not God of the future. He is God of the present and the future. Uh, This passage from Psalm 46, he says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we won't fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake in their surging. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Number one, the process of lament for you, when tragedy strikes, you must center yourself on God being God. Secondly, you must learn to give recognition to your burdens. Um, I, I, I think it's impossible to miss within Psalm 31 how honest the psalmist is. Look at verse 9 and 10 with me again. He says, I'm in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. My soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Does that sound like a manly man to you? Does that sound like suck it up buttercup type of guy here? This sounds like the manliest example I could ever imagine because it's not the false uh, uh, machismo that defines 
masculinity, or even femininity for, for that matter, it's honesty. And one of the key things that you must learn to do within the process of lament is recognize that which you are broken over. If you can't do this, I, I submit to you, you're as foolish as the person who, when driving in the truck and start to hear an engine noise, oh, there's a problem, you just turn up the radio a little louder. <laughs> That's, that's as foolish as failing to give recognition to what the actual problem is. And the more that you are able to do this, the more you are able, like the psalmist, to begin the process of lament by defining what it is. Put a name to what it is that you are grieving over. Number three, uh, you need to learn to release your burdens into God's hands. I'm so thankful for this uh, psalm this morning. Look with me in verse five. He says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Someone in the New Testament quotes that. Does anyone know who it is? This is a good Bible study answer. Who is it? It's Jesus. Was Jesus having a good day? Does anyone remember? He's hanging on the cross. And there, in this moment, recognizes in memory, the Psalm 31, that my strength doesn't come from my own ability. It comes by offering my burdens, releasing what they are to God. I, I commit to you my spirit. Uh, you'll see this again repeated in verse 15. Look with me again in the text. He says, my times are in your hands. I can't think of any better place for the duration of your future and your life and your plans, whatever they might be, but to be in the mighty hands of God. That takes a measure of your surrender, though, to release those to God. Because here's the truth, folks. Sin was never anything that you can handle. The brokenness of this world was never anything that you could carry. In fact, you are not designed to carry it. Uh, it was, it was uh, yesterday, I had uh, finished a big uh, pile of laundry. I had it all folded. I put it back in the basket and um, I was busy with work and Sadie was by me and I said, Sadie, she's my seven-year-old. I said, could you take that laundry basket and bring it upstairs uh, to the bedroom? And here, my little 50-pound seven-year-old grabs his basket and she goes one step at a time and another step. And she's trying her hardest. And I kind of felt bad after that asking her to carry it up the stairs. Do you know some of you are carrying burdens still? Some of you are carrying a weight and just a heaviness that you are not designed to carry. The psalmist helps you this morning. I, I commit my spirit. I commit myself into your hands. My times, they're in your hands. Fourthly, this is a big one. You need to make space to grieve under God's protection. If, uh, if, if we look back into the text, one thing that you'll find repeated throughout is this confidence in God as a refuge. Do you know what a refuge is? It, it's a harbor in the storm. It's a safe place where you can find shelter. There, there are some people, I've, I've heard it said when they're undergoing grief, well, time heals all. Yeah, you've, you've heard this as well, right? I, I think that they are lying to themselves because they don't want to face their grief. They haven't done step two, and so they're ignoring it altogether. And do you know what that's like? That's like leaving shards left for other people around you to cut themselves on in the future. Do you know what you need? You need time and space. You need a safe place to grieve. 
And you guys, you probably know the steps, right? First is denial, can't be true. Second is anger, this can't be happening. Then bargaining. After this, often a deep depression until finally people come to a state of acceptance. But those aren't always the five steps. It's different for different people. Sometimes loneliness is the manifestation of their grief. Sometimes fear is all they feel. And ultimately the place that they need to get to is a measure of forgiveness in their heart and in their life. Well, let me submit to you this morning, according to our scriptures, God is a shelter for you to just grieve. A safe place for you to work through identifying what it is that you have lost, that you loved so much. But, but don't think it's just time. Time is not that shelter. It is God who is that shelter in your life. Are you guys with me on this one? We're good on this? Give me an amen if you're with me here. All right. Lastly, fifthly, you need to direct your heart towards hope in God. Verse 24, it's the very end of the psalm. Be strong and take heart, all of you who hope in the Lord. You and I have very little in this life. In fact, if there is no resurrection, the Apostle Paul says we're to be pitied among all men for having given way or sacrificed or relinquished any of the worldly merits by which we would find satisfaction because we've exchanged them for Jesus. But what if there's no resurrection? Well, then get rich now or die trying, right? Unless you have hope, unless you have hope. And so in the middle of lament, and I want you to see from our passage, out of almost half of the Psalms in the book of Psalms, which are lament, they always end with a confidence to place my hope in God. I want to offer you just one final set of applications because maybe today you are not in a position of grief, but maybe you know somebody who is. So how can you best be a friend to that person? Let me just give you four final quick observations or applications for that. Number one is you need to be present with your friend in the middle of their grief. Look with me back into the text once more. You'll see in verse 11, he says, because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors. I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. We're picking up our understanding of the right behavior by the opposite of what's happening to David. You know what David needs? He probably needs a hug. That's probably all he needs. And so if you find somebody who is going through the shattering of something they loved in their life, let me submit to you, your job is to be present with them. Number two, please give them the opportunity to speak and the opportunity to just be silent. Look with me again in verse 12. He says, I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. These people don't want to hear anything from David. And sometimes somebody who's grieving, they just need to share. They just need to talk. And do you know what you need to do? You just need to listen and be present with them. And then you know what? Sometimes they don't need any words. Sometimes they just need someone to sit next to them. And that's exactly what's not happening to David, but that's exactly what you can do with the comfort that God has given you. Thirdly, um, you need to make referrals for them as necessary. In verse 13, you'll see, he says again, for I hear the slander of many. So those who are surrounding David are not there to help. 
He says there's terror on every side. Can you imagine the hopelessness of that moment? You know what? There's some times that you are there and present and can listen, but you might say, you know what? It'd be really good if, if you talk to this person because you know how their experience lines up with somebody else who you know went through something very similar. And don't you know that that's exactly what the body of Christ is designed for? For us to help one another? So don't feel like if you're there to help them, it's all on your shoulders. Your job is to help carry their burden, but please be prepared to help make referrals if necessary. And finally, walk with them together towards hope. Uh, Give me just two minutes to talk about this one because one of the things that can be most harmful if you see somebody going through a hard time is to offer the worst advice for the right reason. Don't worry, it'll get better. There's a silver lining to every... You know the type of people I'm talking about? It's like, hey, there's a time and a place. This ain't the time for that. Uh, This quote from C.S. Lewis, as he lost his wife, he wrote about it in a book called Grief Observed. He said, talk to me about the truth of religion and I'll listen gladly. Talk to me about the duty of religion, I'll listen submissively. But don't come talking to me about the consolations of religion. Or I shall suspect that you just don't understand. Listen to how the Apostle Paul renders this in 2 Corinthians. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to share or be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by, by God. Do, do you see that it's not, this is your problem and it'll get better for you? Do you see that's not right, the right answer? That the correct answer is actually walking with them together. This passage from 1 Thessalonians, he says, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind, who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Do you believe that? It's not a trick question. Do you believe that? Yes. As you have opportunity to face moments in your life of pain, remember that the answer that God gives you to process that is lament. And there are steps that you and I need to learn and be equipped to take that we would grow from them and not be sent into hopelessness. And if you know somebody in your life who is hurting today, God has equipped you to be the one to come alongside and be present, to help them to be still and to listen, and ultimately to join arm in arm with them together and say, I've been there, and I'm walking with you through this. I want want to remind you, church, you have great hope. We don't grieve like the world grieves with no hope, for Jesus lives, amen? He lives, and he will make all things new.